After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now, a new edition. I'm uh, Raghu Marcus, your host for this program, for this podcast. Um, here we are. I'm sorry, folks. I actually missed a week or so, not much longer than that. And that's because I had to go to a convention. And the convention was of the Social Venture Network. And that is uh, entrepreneurs um, who gather together to figure out how to properly use their energy and resources to advance social causes do good social action and Ramdas has uh, advised this uh, organization in its earliest days uh, probably up till he had the, the stroke 15 years ago or so and uh, I went there to represent Love Serve Remember Foundation see who's interested in supporting us and see how we can support them all of this being fairly new to me um, now and it, it brought up a lot of my own uh, back and forth shall we say about politics spirituality and social action and uh, this particular talk actually it's an interview Ramdas gave that I found in 1979 it was July and somehow they couldn't find uh, where a studio or wherever this person was from. Um, her name is Dr. Pat Patricia Hunt Perry. Never heard of her. Still don't know. Haven't asked Ramdas who she is. But I was taken by, she asked some really uh, great questions. And why I brought this social venture network thing up is that... Uh, she, she asked Ramdas specifically about the intersection of politics and spirituality from in the 60s and 70s. And how did he feel um, was there a, an intersection and, and so on. Um, and he basically talked about a real polarization between the spiritual community and the political community. Um, that in the 60s, uh, the whole 
acid and psychedelic thing and hate Ashbury was basically a spiritual um, movement. But that within that movement, there was political action going on. Um, so he, he talked about that. It's, it's, uh, really incisive stuff about this. It's a, it's, it's a subject that, that's really come up, you know, as we've gone through this election and so on and so forth, um, about how to take action and, uh, yet come from a, uh, a spiritual base. Now, I myself, as I said about being, I had some trepidation going to this, uh, you know, social venture network gathering. Um, I just feel like every time I've gone to, uh, or, or been close to or involved with people who are really, you know, wanting to change this world and grab it by the throat and change it, you know, I've always had, uh, misgivings about that now you know gee maybe some of this is my own laziness about getting out there and getting on the streets well it's not necessarily getting out in the streets but that's part of it um so you know there's some complexity involved here in terms of your you know personality and so on but i always did think that going out there and raging against the machine <laughs> to use a little quip for a band, um, is it can't be productive unless you really are coming from a place where it's not us and them. And that is a very, very difficult thing. Um, so, uh, you know, this has been a conundrum for me. And in this particular um, uh, gathering of the Social Venture Network people, um, there was a lot of breakout groups that they had and a lot of encountering and people sharing with, which I thought was uh, pretty marvelous. And, um, it led me to have to be involved in a way that I don't normally, uh, involve myself, um, with strangers. It turns out they weren't strangers. So that was a very positive thing. Um, but you know, one of the things they asked was, what do, can you envision doing? Uh, and seeing years down the road having an effect on culture and society, a positive effect. And being that I'm involved with, uh, you know, as a director of this foundation and involved with, uh, you know, what Ramdas and what we have represented through our experience in India with Maharaji and so on and the work that we've done, um, I, th I said the only thing I know we can offer is to take uh, inner action, take action that allows us to develop compassionate heart so that we are not seeing people as other and that when we protest against that which they represent, which we feel is uh, negative, towards humans and our fellow humans but if we can still hold that compassionate heart with them then we can actually see real change happen and uh, that made me you know again think harder about some of the th my personally what i have done where i have shied away from taking social action 
because of feeling like, you know, those people are just, you know, they're, they're yelling for peace in a way that's like, oh, I want to kill you and get peace, you know, so I, I've always, um, you know, shied away from that kind of thing. But as I was saying this stuff, and that happens a lot, you start to express yourself and you realize certain things in yourself only through that expression, which is why some of this encounter stuff can be uh, useful. But just started to realize I need to do more of that. I need to engender more of that compassionate heart. I need to stop hating, you know, um, Paul Ryan. Okay. He's like very difficult. Ramdas talks about putting people. I mean, he had Bush on his puja on his altar, uh, for, you know, forever just trying to reach the soul rather than be angry at the incarnation. So interesting stuff. Um, what I just wanted to quote the world is a reflection of the inner turmoil and confusion of an individual. So the, the talking about the polarization between spiritual and political people, the world is a reflection of the inner turmoil and confusion that one has, uh, day to day, uh, that you need to transform. You have to work on yourself first before you can work on the world. And I think that's a key, key uh, point here. Um, people, uh, political people uh, be became more, become more conscious. Uh, the state of being is a part of political actions. So that has to be realized. Spiritual people need to honor your incarnation, our incarnation, accept your role. So I think those are two really uh, key statements about what uh, social action political people absolutely need to um, work on themselves. And, and spiritual people need to realize they're in the world and there is something to do and you need to, t to uh, honor that particular role. Um, and, and in talking about um, developing the spiritual people to take part in social action, you need to develop the compassionate heart and, and even that just then, you know, understanding what compassion is. I mean, we all have ideas. A lot of it I have found in myself is like feeling bad for someone's plight. But this is compassion is beyond feeling just bad. Um, and here in this particular description, which is a great one. Of course, Ramdas does synthesize stuff in a way that we can all understand. Development of compassion is a combination. It's, it's a combination of human feelings, uh, of being in the world and, and feelings. You, you know, that individual, you feel the, the, the pain, the suffering, the hope and the joy and the sadness wrapped up that we all have at one point or another. But at the same time, there's an equanimity of mind seeing that it's all a dance and it's perfectly part of the universe, God, whatever you want to call its plan, law. It's, it's part of the law. It's part of the unfolding. So you have that in mind as you are f having this, you know, complete uh, empathetic feeling of, of what your neighbor is going through. So it's the balance 
it's that balance where compassion lies. And I think that is so to the point. And that's what, um, yeah, we all need to work towards that, that balance. And, um, you know, we all need to take part in what's going on around us, not just living in a cave and getting ourselves straight. Of course, that is entirely important. But I know in my own life, I have maybe shied away from taking any kind of social action or being involved. Also, I'm from Canada, which is a very apolitical place. Um, growing up, it just wasn't part of our lexicon whatsoever. But, uh, you know, I've lived here for a long time and, uh, I notice I have shied away from some of this. So, um, uh, the universe has been dictating to me to be way more aware of the role and honor it, you know, just being part of here's where I am and I am here and there is a lot of injustice and there is a lot of uh, negative uh, action going on from, from the climate stuff to God knows what, huh? So, Sorry to get a little too heavy with philosophic ramblings here, and rather some of you are going, enough already, can we hear Ramdas? So here he is, Ramdas, here and now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Stop for a moment and think about something that you really need to get off your chest. It could be frustration with your job or a coworker. It could be fear or uncertainty about the future. It could be a secret that you've been hiding for years. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Speaking with a therapist on a regular basis is also a great way to improve your communication skills. Learn to resolve conflict. Increase your self-awareness and self-esteem. Develop positive coping strategies. Build stronger relationships and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, plus switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramdas. Be here in the middle of uh, New York in a parking lot. Any space is good for you. Great place for us to meet. I've been thinking a lot lately about what's ahead for people on both a spiritual and perhaps a political level. William Irwin Thompson has talked a bit about the political level being one which um, needs to be addressed at this time and he suggests that perhaps people in the 60s were operating on the political realm. In the 70s we worked on ourselves in a consciousness kind of way and that in the 80s perhaps these two movements would come together. Do you see anything like this? Uh, well, um, 
I, I see something. I think I'd word it somewhat differently, and I would uh, time label it differently because certainly the 60s were the period of LSD and the Haight Ashbury, and that wasn't political in large part. That was spiritual and consciousness. Um, and there were also was a lot of political activism, and that was a very fruitful, exciting, powerful time in the 60s, and we're still sort of reverberating from that. The problem that happened in the 60s was that it polarized between the spiritual and the political people, and that the political people felt, look, we've got to, you can't go work on yourself when you're sitting in the middle of a, a mess that could explode any time. We've got to clean up the world first before we work on ourselves. And the spiritual people felt that the the world is a reflection of the inner turmoil in people and the inner confusion, and you have to work on yourself first in order to work on the world. So that it polarized, and I remember having very sort of angry discussions with people like uh, Jerry Rubin and Allen Ginsberg and people like that. Now here it is uh, ten years later, and uh, we watch what happened to the Chicago 8 or 9, and we see that uh, people like Rene Davis went with Guru Maharaji and Allen Ginsberg is a student of Trungpa Rinpoche and Dave Dillinger is a very spiritual guy in many ways and Jerry Rubin has been through the Fisher-Hoffman method and on and on they began to realize that they had inner work to do because they saw that if they protested against something in which they saw that which they were protesting, if their anger, if they were attached to their anger, they kept creating the hell they were trying to get rid of all the time. And so it wasn't clear that they, they did incredible things. I mean, the end of the Vietnam War and the and Watergate and a lot of things have happened that are the result of incredible political activity. But at the same moment, there was a lot of paranoia and anger created as a result also. So that I think that the political people became more conscious that just like scientists realize, an experimenter realizes that the experimenter is part of the experiment. So a political activist realizes that his being or her being is part of the political action. Well, the spiritual people had to come to another uh, confrontation because you began to see that if you wanted to be in God or get to God, you had to honor your incarnation, whatever that meant. Your incarnation meant you were an American, you were living in uh, this age and this time and this culture with this religion and this sex and so on. What did it mean to honor that? And a lot of us have started to try to assess what it means to honor incarnation. One of it means is to accept your role as a responsible member of a society and a world and an ecosystem and so on. So I, on the other hand, people like me are now becoming much more politically responsible and the, as in the same way the political people become more spiritually. So recently, like last year, I was at Rocky Flats at a, at a demonstration. And I, I went as a part of a group that Allen Ginsberg had created in which we sat in meditation right in the middle of the demonstration, 40 of us with our Zafus and then sitting and walking. The statement being that this statement is a quiet mind and an open heart is the way in which we can make our statement about how we can hear all the issues that are involved. And I sat there in meditation in the middle of this demonstration listening to... Uh, um, what's her name? Helen uh, Caldicott? Is that her name? The Australian woman doctor? Beautiful gal. Uh, and all of the speakers. And I heard the use of the kind of emotional charged stuff, but it was different. There was a space of consciousness in the whole protest that was the result of the fact that it was slightly more conscious people doing the kind of protest. 
And that, to me, means that it can have much more power without having a boomerang effect. So that I really see the coming together as an incredibly positive possibility uh, for... Um, um, for more conscious social action in the society. In terms of whether it's enough or in time or whether or not uh, the culture is at a point of such chaos because of energy, ecology, lack of trust in government, uh, a whole set of uh, international strife, uh, third world powers, uh, nuclear uh, possibility of uh, nuclear destruction, proliferation, um, uh, kind of fear uh, whether but when I read history I see that time and time again people said the same thing about the period you know we'll never get through this period alive Very true. and uh, I approach life this way that um, whatever the future holds what I can do at this moment is to become as conscious and as compassionate and as present and as aware in this moment as I can be I can live in this moment and then if it's going to end in a day or in a billion years, that's the optimum strategy for me to perform. But being conscious in this moment means to be tuned to all the forces acting upon me at any moment. And that means my social, political responsibilities as well as my spiritual responsibilities. I understand that when you were in England recently, um, there was some problem getting in, and uh, it brought the political quite home to you, quite with an impact. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit, and what was the lesson that you learned from that? Because obviously that's what each teaching is about. Well, I learned a delicious lesson because uh, uh, I arrived at Heathrow Airport in London to be a uh, guest speaker for the World Symposium, and uh, I went through the... Uh, Immigration, and I was down picking up my bag, and I felt an arm, a hand on my arm, holding me tightly. And the man said, "Well, sir, you nearly got away from us." And I said, "I didn't know that I was trying." It turned out that since 1966, I've been on the Home Secretary's list of uh, it's called people who are non-conducive to the welfare of the United Kingdom uh, because of my connection to Tim Leary and drugs and so on. And uh, so I was brought upstairs to the detention room, where for uh, uh, ten hours, I guess, I was there with uh, a group of delightful Pakistanis, Iranians, and Indians, all of whom were non-conducive to the welfare of the United Kingdom. And we had a... <laughs> I couldn't have spent a more delightful day. <laughs> and we were led to the bathroom with armed guards and taken in armed buses to cafeteria where the... Uh, the uh, uh, cook would open a locked window and hand out the food and lock it again in case we should leap through the window and, and uh, attack her. And um, finally, at around 5 or 6 o'clock, they decided that uh, I was really too bad to let in. And then they couldn't find a, an, air, an airline that would take me out of the country. I wanted to go to Amsterdam. Finally, they got Persian Gulf Airlines to take me. And they delivered me to the plane with armed guards, explaining to the stewardess that I was being deported. And all the people in the plane were watching me to wonder what kind of a... Was I a sex maniac or a, you know, was it a bomber, a mad bomber? So I went to Amsterdam, but World Symposium had gotten on the case, and they got involved with a member of parliament and the Home Secretary. And the next Tuesday, I was invited back in, met by a government official with a warm welcome and... Uh, and he and I discussed the fact that people could change and that I was now really a good guy and that I loved England. So um, 
What, first of all, one of the things that profound things that I noticed about myself and my changes was that I thoroughly delighted in the day because I wasn't really attached to how my day has come out and finding myself in detention for a day when I was about to be a, <clears throat> received by a world symposium and it's treated like a crook all day was as interesting and delightful as it could have been the other way which blew my mind I, it could be that way and the other thing is that I understand the predicament of governments and I don't feel that they were doing anything other than protecting their, the people of their government, which is what they're supposed to do. If they let in people who are in any way destructive to the, the fabric of the culture, uh, they're held responsible for that. And we have a very funny thing where we are very, we're caught between a tremendous paternalism we invest in our governments and then a tremendous demand for independence. And we're independent until something goes wrong, and then we want to blame the big daddy for doing wrong. And I think there's a very delicate balance. Every time I come to the United States, I'm searched, and I go through that. And I keep explaining to them I'm not that guy anymore. But the computer runs slowly, and I think you have to develop a sense of humor instead of making everything... I'd rather, if I'm going to fight issues, I'd rather fight more interesting issues. It seems that that's very much like what you talked about in the first question, that um, not making a them and an us, not making confrontation, is that what, what you're saying for the future, too, that we shouldn't make a distinction so that we can set up the people against us and have a confrontation? It seems to me that the, that the development of compassion, the concept of compassion, is some combination of um, human feelings and being in the world and feeling all the feelings of pity and pain and suffering and hope and joy and sadness and also a kind of an equanimity of mind that comes from seeing that it's all kind of a dance and it's all quite perfect God's law unfolding and it's that balance that's really where compassion lies and with compassion you it seems to me you develop an appreciation of what karmic predicament other beings are caught in and you can see sort of why they are the way they are. And it is true that very often you, in order to fulfill your role as a citizen or as a human being, you have to act against another person's actions. You have to stop it or control it or protest against it. But the question is whether that other being is their action or is a being who is caught in a web of stuff of which the action is the result. And I constantly look and try to make contact because I identify with my own soul or spirit. That's what I see in other people. I mean, it really is you see the projection of your own reality outside. So I just feel like I'm meeting a lot of souls that are each going through their own working out of stuff. Often their working out of stuff con comes into conflict with mine. And we have to have a conflict. But I can play tennis with somebody who's a col we're collaborating to play tennis, but we are competing in the game of tennis. And we're living on two levels at once. And very often when I meet, say, a government official who has to search me or something, I see him as a human being who's earning a living doing what he has to do. And he feels strange because I'm reacting to him that way. And he starts out from me being him, and he often ends up with me being us. And in that sense, I feel that my work in terms of sharing living consciousness, how do I know that my whole work on Earth wasn't to come and make contact with that one human being who was searching me? 
you know. So uh, the game is much more multi-level than, than one would think. The idea of searching you, uh, maybe in a new way. Yeah. <laughs> the kind of search uh, you may not realize either. <laughs> you know, I was at the World Symposium on Humanity in, um, in Toronto in April, and uh, I talked with Thomas Binyaka and some of the native people there. Thomas Binyaka is a Hopi elder. Mm-hmm. And they're very concerned about a coming chaos in the society and how we might begin to um, prepare ourselves for that because they look at it as a time of purification a time when the society has to go through a certain kind of chaos and disruption in order to get to the new level uh, perhaps human beings sometimes have to do that too is that what our society is is doing at this point do you think um, I could write a dozen scenarios as to what's happening and I know about the predictions of the Hopis and uh, that's a scenario and there are a whole variety of different scenarios about what's happening um, it could be uh, I mean I'm inclined to understand that why we are on earth uh, when Buddha talks about the hindrances that we work to overcome of uh, lust and greed hatred and ill will agitation sloth and torpor and doubt and that unless you have these five you really aren't on earth because this is a training ground or an experiential ground to work with those things so that if you were setting up a commune or a community and you say well who will we put in it well let's put in only people that have lust and greed agitation hatred sloth or laziness and doubt you wouldn't be surprised to end up with what we've got now okay and in a way, that's what this is. It's, an atten- it's a community self-selecting of people who have this kind of work to do, work with this stuff. Right? You hear what I'm saying? So under those conditions, it's hard to know what the tolerance is, how bad it can get before it blows up or it turns a cycle and gets better. I mean, I've watched cycles shift. I mean, I watched like before the Second World War. There was a certain kind of coldness in the society, and then the war came along, and in the midst of the war, there was a human quality brought out of the people, out of fear in part, but it brought them together. Marin County during the drought, New York during the first electress out by the second one, everybody was ready to rip off the stores, but the first one, that sometimes this crisis just cuts through a lot of the, parent, uh, the separateness of people and awakens and it's it is a purification you wouldn't lay it on the society but you work with it and how does any individual prepare for it i think you prepare for it by um, by uh... getting uh... free of feeling needful of a lot of things that might go in the shuffle uh... when they when they when they hits the fan um, Cars. Well, a lot of things. I mean, I'm just writing a preface for a book by Dwayne Elgin on voluntary simplicity. And um, he's been a consultant of the government, and he worked at SRI for many years. And, and um, I'm fascinated with the fact that the reason I'm writing the preface is because as I've gone on and on with my own spiritual work, I've found myself yearning and living more and more simply all the time and craving less and less of the things that we are in view of the energy crunch and in view of ecology and all going to have to give up anyway. So that 
you can lead people to you can have simplicity out of imposing it by law or you can have it out of awakening consciousness if you awaken consciousness people want less because they are more and the moment is more and they need less because they're happier with the way things are not keep modeling about how it ought to be you know so uh, it feels to me like the people that have started to voluntarily simplify their lives are people that are in a better position psychologically to withstand the unexpected. I mean, like if the gas crunch comes, I just won't go anywhere. And that'll be as interesting as going anywhere. I mean, there are other people who have a plan. I'm going somewhere, and if the energy crunch comes, uh, they're destroyed. You hear that dis yeah. those distinctions? Yeah. Suppose we take a, a break for a moment, shall we? And okay. then uh, we're we're taping this. I mean, I don't I, I don't feel that radio and television should be as perfect as they often try to be by redoing things. I, we're taping this in a car um, because we couldn't find any quiet place, and it's very very warm. So we're going to take a break, and we'll listen to some music, perhaps, and then we'll come back. This podcast has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the Foundation and for Ramdas's work, and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to Ramdas.org and click on the Donate Now button and follow the prompts. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What do you need to get off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, develop positive coping skills, and much more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramdas today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramdas.